Oh Lord, we come to you as our strength and the saving refuge of your people. In you, our heart trusts and from you we get help. We pray that you would help us now as we seek to grow in understanding how it is that we can be a help to those who are facing troubles. Uh, But we're going to ask you to not just make us a help to them. God, we face trouble and so we pray that you would be our strength and our help even now. That we might exult in you as we consider what you do when those who you love are suffering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter is where we're going to be this, this whole session. We're going to focus in chapter 2, but we're going to kind of go all over uh, this this wonderful letter. When I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, um, Kelly and I, my wife and I, were part of this surprise birthday party uh, for for one of our friends, and um, this whole group of people have been have kind of snuck into the house, and we're all waiting for them to get done with dinner and and uh, open the door, and we're going to yell surprise. Um, well, one of my friends, um, wanted to turn up the surprise element of our surprise. And what he did was he stood in front of this candle in the kitchen and in the kitchen, he got a large knife. And what he did was he held up that knife behind the candle so that The first thing the birthday boy would see is the shadow of a killer in his house. Now, I think um, someone said that was a good idea. That was not. It's not a good idea. That's not where this is going. Uh, It was not a good idea. And the big moment finally came. um, And somehow this house full of seminary students preparing to be pastors of God's people. No one told them to not do it anyway. Um, we're all being grown in grace as time goes on. Um, the birthday po- boy unlocks his front door and he opens it. And I don't think he even heard us say surprise. Because when he saw my buddy and the shadow of this, um, we heard him say, oh my goodness. And then he tore out of there. He started running. Problem is he left his wife. You know, just to face that trouble all by herself. He he's a really great guy, um, and poor fellow was just looking for a happy birthday, and instead he got trouble, and that trouble tested him, and he didn't do so great on the test. But that experience taught me something, and that is, when I'm in trouble, the truth about me is going to come out as well. 
If you follow the one who the world hated and killed, then you don't have to go looking for trouble. Trouble's going to find you. This is what 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says as he's been talking about trouble for a long time. He gets toward the end of his letter and he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. We could say the, the, the fiery trouble. Do not be surprised by it when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. No, you should expect it. It is not strange. It is common. It should be expected. This is written by the man who would have heard Jesus say, in this world, you will have trouble. The Apostle Peter tells us something that is very important for us to know whenever we're in trouble. Whenever we're facing suffering. And that is, your troubles will test your trust. Your troubles will test your trust. I want you to see this come straight out of First Peter, not just in chapter 4. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. But listen to um, what the nature of the test is in First Peter chapter 1. Verse 6, after Peter is reflecting upon this inheritance that is guaranteed for all Christians, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's being kept in heaven for us, and we are being kept by God's power for it. And, and, and so we rejoice in that, he says. We rejoice in the certain inheritance that will not disappoint We rejoice in it now, though, now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is telling us is how significant the moment of suffering is. Your troubles will test your trust. I want to give you... Five clarifications before we go any farther. Five clarifications about the troubles that First Peter is counseling us about. Number one, trust testing troubles. These troubles that test our trust, they are necessary. You see that in First Peter 1 verse 6. The, the phrasing in the ESV is, if necessary. 
but but what what he's saying throughout this letter is they are necessary. Whatever trouble comes to you is coming to you and it's necessary for you to go through it. That's why you shouldn't be surprised because it's necessary that our trust in God be tested and be tested in this specific way. It's through our troubles. In chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Therefore, if you suffer according to God's will, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. It's necessary. He wills it. And, and we've been told in chapter 1, what he's willing it for, it, it's to sort out the real Christians from the fake ones. It's, it's to make clear, the troubles make clear the difference between those who merely profess faith and those who possess faith. So, brothers and sisters, I want to I want to talk to you about this. I know we're we're training and, and thinking about how we can grow in helping others, but and I think this will be helpful for you and your help for others. But I want to talk to you about this because this is coming to all of us. When you're in trouble, saving faith, saving faith will come out of you, or it won't. So. The second clarification, trust testing troubles aren't deserved. They're necessary, but they are not deserved. Uh, This is what it says in chapter 4, verse 15. Listen to how these these troubles he's addressing in this letter are, are focused on the ones that we don't deserve. The trouble we don't deserve, verse 15 of chapter 4. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. But suffer as a Christian. What he's saying is, don't bring suffering into your life because of your sin. What he's trying to equip us for is, he's not talking about that. He's saying, he's saying don't do that. Don't sin and bring suffering. I'm trying to equip you, Peter says, for the trouble that comes in your life that isn't deserved. This is the way he describes in chapter 2. Look in verse 18. Where he gives the example of servants and the troubles that they face. Be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and the gentle. But also to the masters who are unjust. Who treat you like you don't deserve. That's who he's writing to. So equip us for those kinds of troubles. Verse 20, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure it? If, if the trouble came because of your sin, what credit do you get for getting through that? You brought it by, uh, uh, on yourself. But if when you do good and suffer for doing good and you, su- uh, and you endure that, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That is something in the sight of God that says grace has come to him. It's... It's a trouble that didn't come to us because of the wrongs we've done. It's troubles that we don't deserve. 
Perhaps it's because it's the, it includes the troubles that that come to us because we are aligned with Jesus, or they could. I think it's could be also troubles that come to us just by virtue of us living in a fallen world. The third clarification before we go any farther about the troubles that First Peter helps counsel. It's not just that they're necessary and they're not deserved. They're also varied. That's that's right in the language of chapter one. You've been grieved by various trials. And so just just kind of thumbing through the rest of the letter of First Peter, you would see in chapter two, verse 18, we we we've already seen this. It, it's, it includes the troubles that come to a servant who has a harsh master. It's varied, though. It's not it's not just those kinds of troubles. It's also in chapter three, verse one. Listen to this. It's, it's the kind of trouble that he's counseling for a godly woman who's enduring marriage to a godless man. It's varied troubles. Chapter 3, verse 16. It's, it's the trouble of being made fun of because of your faith. These kinds of troubles that are varied. It's the trouble, chapter 4, verse 4, of of losing relationships because you will not join the people who are sinning. So you, you face things like loneliness and rejection because of it. It's varied. And I think it's varied not just in the kind of trouble it is, but also the degree of trouble that there is. Peter himself, who wrote this, he would have faced varied kinds and degrees of trouble. You remember the degree of trouble that he faced when he was down in that courtyard. Jesus was being accused and Peter was being asked, don't you know him? There was a certain degree of trouble that he was facing. It's the kind of degree where he's being questioned by a slave girl. He's being pressured by someone who in that society would not have had much standing at all. It's not much trouble. In other words, but this stretches to great trouble too, because this same Peter, according to John 21, in the words of Jesus, would one day face death for his faith. It's varied in degree. And so th- this is, we can, we can use First Peter for those who are going through great trouble or not great trouble. In other words, he's saying there are small troubles that are still troublesome and they're still testing something. But we know that our God knows how to tailor trouble. He knows how to get our trust. He knows how to fill out the trust that is lacking. He knows what undeserved trouble you need. And I need to get from us what he deserves, which is our trust. What I'm saying is deserved trust. The trust that God deserves comes in the midst of our undeserved trouble. So whatever kind he chooses for you or your counselees, We have a real opportunity to not question 
the all-wise tailor of troubles. The last clarification before we go farther. No, that's not the last one. Uh, trust testing troubles are grievous. You are grieved by various trials, chapter 1, verse 6 says. They are called suffering elsewhere in the book. They're called trials. Trials. I mean, for a reason. These are pressure-filled circumstances. This is not easy. They're trials. And they're grievous. And it's not wrong for you to acknowledge that they're grievous, that these are hard, that you want them to end. Paul, he, he prayed. Three times would you let this thorn be removed, right? Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane is experiencing his great trouble as grievous. It's grievous, necessary, deserved, varied, grievous. And then finally, trust testing troubles are for good. They're for good. Uh, This is hinted at in chapter 1 verse 7 where the tested genuineness of our faith is precious and it results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If they're trials that are necessary and they're sent from God, well, God is someone who is full of purpose, full of purpose and all his purposes are good for those who love him. And so they're for good. Now, something um, we have to face before we go any farther. I don't want you to lose you on this. Um, you will be lost in this lecture and in First Peter if you have believed or if when the trouble comes, you are tempted to believe that God's priority is your happiness. (laughs) Beloved, God's priority is his glory. And he believes that our trust of him in our troubles can bring him glory. Explicitly says this in chapter 4, verse 16. Suffer as a Christian for the glory of Christ. So one thing we, we need to embrace is this idea that the Lord loves to be trusted. He loves to be trusted. And you can trust that he's good when he brings trouble. And that he does have a concern for our happiness, but it's a lasting happiness. It's a forever kind of happiness. And it's not, it's his definition, not our own. I also understand that trouble is not something that is purely hypothetical. This is not just a, lab room where we're talking theory about counselees who may come who face trouble some of you aren't waiting for trouble some of you are in it now and it's not because of your sin it may be because of the sin of others 
maybe even people you love dearly. Some of you are very acquainted right now with the experience of hardship of living in this broken world. And I just want to encourage you, God has not lost control of this. And he means even this for good. He's not lost control or sight of you. This trouble comes to you through him. And he will use it for your good. Now, if, if you're not in trouble right now, um, well, it's coming. And when you're in trouble, one thing that is going to come with the trouble is a lot of questions. Why? How long? And questions like that are not necessarily bad. But First Peter actually directs us to different questions than those questions. First Peter directs us to the question where, what, and who. Where, what, and who. When you're in trouble, your answers to those three questions will show whether you pass the test of trouble. So, when you're in trouble, the first question is where do you turn? Where do you turn? Now, I want to read... 1 Peter 2 and verse 18 through 25. And I want you to listen as I read how it is that our suffering can be pleasing, can be pleasing in the sight of God. 1 Peter 2, 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good masters and the gentle masters, but also to the unjust masters, for this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, to suffer unjustly, and endure it. That's what you've been called to because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that or so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This will be the main passage we're in for the rest of our time together. And first we're answering the question and when trouble comes, where do you turn now, the most common place that we turn when we're in trouble is toward ease, toward ease, to escape from what's hard. And that can be something as simple as turning toward ice cream or shopping or replacing our 
spouse. Because the marriage is hard. Or finding new friends. We're all tempted to turn toward ease. But can we, can we acknowledge that trusting in ease or pleasure is a failure to trust the Lord? Another failure to pass the test and trouble is when we turn toward disobedience. When we're in trouble and we lash out in anger because we're stressed out by the trouble. Or someone makes us feel bad and so we try to make ourselves feel good by doing something that God says is never good. When you're in trouble, don't go looking for more trouble. And disobedience will double your trouble. Because undeserved suffering is one thing. But sinning in it is inviting on top of that trouble, the discipline of God. When we're in trouble, where should we turn? Look, look again in chapter 2 and verse 20. This is a gracious, to this you have been called, verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Where should you turn? There's been a model, an example that has been laid and it's been laid for us so that we would be so familiar with the example that we would know what to do and where we should turn when the trouble comes. We should turn to the example of Christ and follow in the steps he took. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Whenever undeserved suffering comes, remember how undeserving Jesus was. And, 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 and then as, and, and what Peter's laying out for us is the example of Jesus. Even then he committed no sin, though he was totally undeserving. And when, when your trouble comes, remember, we are not as undeserving as him. Trouble just came looking for Jesus. This world is like a minefield full of hate. And so Jesus was like a trouble magnet. Well, if you attach yourself to that magnet, trouble will come looking for you as well. When you're in trouble, turn right away, right away to the example of Jesus. Like it would be a really good idea to open first Peter chapter two when the trouble strikes and then, and then keep watching him and follow him step by step. When, when the trouble comes, we need to stop the natural flow of what we would naturally do. And then we need to intentionally then place each step intentionally tracking right behind Jesus. If we don't want to fail 
the trouble test of trust. Step one, he committed no sin. Follow that example. To stay innocent in trouble, step two then. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Don't lie. Don't deceive in any way to get yourself out of the trouble. Don't do anything sinful. Don't try to lessen even the threat of it by any kind of deception. Right foot, verse 24, he himself bore, or sorry, 23, that's not where we're going to follow. Uh, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When you're in trouble, whatever hate's coming your way, it is not for you to hate, hate them or to give them any kind of hatefulness. We're to follow in his steps, right foot, left foot. When he suffered, he did not threaten. To pass the test in trouble, we don't just have to answer that question, though, where do you turn? We have to answer a question about who, and that is, see, I may have missed some of these. Turn right away to the example of Jesus, and then, the second question that Peter, first Peter says, is concerned with when we face trouble is who do you trust? Who do you trust? That's a good question. Even on things as simple as movie recommendations. Who do you trust? I want to tell you, be careful who you trust. I have a dear friend, co-pastor, at Redeemer Church, who's not only close to me, he's close to you. What I mean, he's he's in this room, and I won't even look at him because he betrayed me with the movie recommendation he made. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, you got to watch Interstellar. Now, you guys might be big Interstellar fans. I don't know. It's Matthew McConaughey movie, got rave reviews. The thing made me cry, and I don't appreciate. Your suggestion, David, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, this, I mean, the main guy, he abandons his daughter for that dork from Princess Diaries or the Devil Wears Prada. Is that more your jam? Uh, Anne Hathaway. He, he abandons his daughter for Anne Hathaway. That's not really what the whole thing's about, but the, the movie, what it's mainly about is, um, Earth's resources are, are depleted, and so they start looking for this new home planet. Just stay with me. I regret watching it, and I'm passing it on to you, but I'm trying to redeem it, because I believe the Lord can make all things new. Um, the Earth's resources were depleted, and so they were looking for a new home planet. And one of the main factors they were considering in whether a planet was habitable was how their gravitational pull compared to Earth's gravitational pull. So they were saying things like, well, does this planet work? Well, no, that that planet is 80% of the gravity we normally feel on Earth or whatever. Is this, is this planet habitable? No way. That one's got 200% um, gravity compared to Earth. They knew they would not flourish if the gravity pulled them down too strongly. 
So I watched this movie and, and I was just crying. I'm a sentimental guy, especially at night. So I just walked into my daughter's room and I just cried. I was literally crying at, at their bed nights. I, I will never abandon you. Uh, that's the, that's kind of the main takeaway I had from the movie. But again, I'm trying to get something from it. And I, and here, here it is. Um, our planet has a spiritual gravity. In this world, our trust is pulled down away from God and toward ourselves. And and you just got to know this. When you're in trouble, that gravitational pull multiplies. Troubles test our trust and it's twice as hard to trust God in troubles because it's twice as hard when you're in trouble to turn away from yourself. I think who... Do you trust? Actually, the answer to that is probably the explanation for why it is we so so often fail. The first question, where do you turn? When you're in trouble, you are naturally going to default to a pre-Christian kind of mindset. I'm on my own. I'm in survival mode. I've got to get myself out of this trouble. What can I do? To make sure they they feel a little bit of this pain as well. What can I do to stop them from bringing the pain to me? But what I want you to notice. We're supposed to follow in the steps of Jesus. Notice what Jesus is doing in trouble. This This is so helpful. It's in verse 23. What is he doing instead of those things that he was not doing? You see it? Instead of turning to selfish kinds of responses. It's it's signaled there in the word, but verse 23. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. Listen, troubles test trust and Jesus passed the test. His life was full of trouble, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. Peter's talking about the worst trouble. This is the trouble that led him to the cross. This is the trouble of sinful men who are killing him. This is the trouble of a holy God sacrificing him for the sake of sinful men. This is undeserved. This is grievous. And you understand what verse 23 is saying. This is so important for when you're in trouble what, what it's saying is he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's all he was doing. He was trusting him who judges justly. He could die unjustly because of him who judges justly. This is massively important. This is the trick This is what is absolutely essential. When Jesus was hated, he didn't have to hate. Because he trusted God is going to judge them. I don't have to hate him. 
when they lashed him and beat him, when they put nails in his hands and feet, when they stripped him and hung him in the middle of the worst criminals, when they mocked him, when Jesus endured the excruciating trouble of the cross, he did not have to make any threats. That's what we we try to do. We try to make threats. And think about why we do that. We make these threats to stop them from bringing trouble to us. You're going to get it. You don't understand. If you don't stop this, you're going to get it. We just want them to stop. And, and, And what the reality is a lot of times when we're making our threats, those threats are empty. Like we're just bluffing. It would not have been a bluff from Jesus. If he made a threat, he could follow through. He could have easily stopped them, but he knew, he believed, he did not need to stop them. Because he trusted, my father's got this. He's got it. And so he could let wicked men end his life. Think about this. I can, I can trust all the way to the end and I don't have to do anything to stop it because I believe my father will give me justice and I believe and I can die believing he's going to give them justice. So Jesus concludes, I don't have to take anything into my hands. I'm not going to sin against God, the judge. Uh, uh, he can take care of them after I die and I can die. The just judge knows I don't deserve death and he can raise me from the dead. So I'll die. Who do you trust? First Peter says, whatever we say in this room is one thing, but you're actually, we're going to find out who we trust in trouble. Like Jesus did as well. How is it that we can avoid hating the person who is troubling us? And, and rather than hating them or writing them off, sacrificing for them, for their good. How can we do that? We can do that if we believe and trust that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. He's, he's going to do that. He's not going to let the guilty go unpunished. I don't have to be involved in that. I can love. How is it that you can resist the temptation to sin against God when you're in trouble? You can do that if you trust that he does not judge anyone on a curve. He's not going to say, well, they did worse to you. I understand why you did bad to them. He judges us in comparison to Jesus who sinlessly trusted him. And Peter is saying what Jesus did, we are called to follow. Continue entrusting him to him who... And trusting, or what, what does it say Jesus did? He 
continued entrusting himself. He didn't stop doing that to do these other things. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Think about this language. And then turn to chapter 4 verse 19. And listen to the language come up again. Have I missed some things? Quite a bit. (laughs) It's twice as hard to trust God in trouble because it's twice as hard to lift our eyes away from ourselves and troubles. And then Jesus could die unjustly because of him who judges justly. I want you to hear this language. Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Then look at chapter 4, verse 19, which says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He's saying you've got to do what he did. Brothers and sisters, God has not left your troubles in your hands. Even though it's your life, your troubles are in his hands. And we are called to entrust ourselves to him. I've asked two questions. Where do you turn? Who do you trust? But there's another question we have to answer if we're going to pass the test. And that's number three. What do you think about when you're in trouble? What do you think about when you're in trouble? And this is maybe the most important question. Y'all know as well as I do what we think about when we're in trouble. And it's, it's me. You think about you. I think about me. And trouble, gravity, That pull to think about ourselves is 200% of what we're used to. Trouble just pulls our thoughts down to ourselves, to these circumstances, to to the, the ones who wronged us. And you know what that leads to when we do that? Thinking about ourselves, it leads to more trouble. It leads to anxiety. It leads to depression, and it can lead to worse. How can you pass the test of trouble? All right, now listen listen very carefully. Chapter 2, verse 19, it's right there. How can you pass the test of trouble? For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Mindful of God. One endures sorrows. That's how you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. This is it. Mindfulness of God. What do you think about? Now what we do with our minds in trouble is... I mean, people have all kinds of ideas about it. This is where some would recommend a kind of meditation... A kind of meditation where you empty your mind. If, you, if you're in trouble, you need to keep calm. 
steady your heart. So meditate, get, get things out of your mind, maybe even turn to something like entertainment to escape from these things. Or there, there's another kind of mindfulness that the world speaks of where when you're in trouble, you need to have this kind of heightened sensitivity to what's going on. You need to be mindful. You need to be more and more intentional. That's not what Peter is laying out for us. How is it that Jesus passed the ultimate test? We were told in verse 19 that what we should do is be mindful of God. And what is it that Jesus did? His mind was full of God. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He's thinking about him. He's thinking about how the fact is that he judges justly. I've been pastoring for a while now. I've had years to watch people pass the test of trouble. And I've had years to watch people fail the test of trouble. Let me tell you, there's a common denominator for people who fail the test. People who fail the test. When they're in trouble, they isolate. They isolate. And we can all understand doing that. The pain can be so great. The discouragement can be so great. The temptation is no one understands. No one cares. And so you isolate. The problem with that, there's several, but one major problem with isolation is you're left alone with you. You're left alone with your thoughts. And, and here's, here's the issue. When trouble comes, your, your mind is going to be crammed full of lies and your mind is going to be crammed full of you to the point where there's no room in your mind for God. And yet that is the very thing that, that we're told from Peter needs to fill our minds. If we're going to pass the test, if we're going to trust God, we have to have minds that are full of God. That's how Jesus passed the test. What is the only thing in the world that has the power to nullify troubles, gravity, to lift our trust away from us. It is the character and promises of God. Listen, the, the trouble test is either passed or it is failed in the mind. He says, be, when you're mindful of God, if you want God to be in your mind in troubles, then you've got to be someone who is living in his word. And you've got to be someone who surrounds yourself with people of the word and surround yourself, find people in your church. This is one of the great benefits of being a part of, of a Bible preaching healthy church is to be surrounded by people who have gone through troubles and they've passed the test. They can tell you things to believe. But it's, it, it's going to be better not to wait until trouble comes to do that kind of thing. It's easier for our minds to stay. That's what Jesus did. He continued in trusting himself. It's to stay full of God rather than to wait until trouble comes and to start to fill your mind with God in trouble. 
the normal way that God works, the pattern he calls us to is this path that Jesus walked, who continued entrusting himself. He just kept on doing when the, when the trouble came. He kept on doing what he had already been doing, which was filling his mind with God. We're a lot less likely to start trusting in trouble if we're not already trusting before trouble. What I'm saying is if you want to continue to trust him in trouble, you should be continually now in the truth. So let me give you four tips for passing the test of trouble. The first is fill your mind now. Fill your mind with God now. I don't know if you remember a few years ago when you first heard about COVID. Um, I, I, we got a phone call from a friend of ours who was a nurse and she said, look, you need to go to the grocery store right now and stock up for two weeks because something, something's coming down with the government and they've not made it public yet, but in a couple of hours they're going to do it. So you got to go and you got to f- just trust me on this, go fill up, stock up your fridge. So we went and we were late. I mean, there was, there was no toilet paper. Um, <laughs> And the only food we found was like bacon and not even thick cut. It was a bummer. (laughs) You need to stock up now. You need to stock up now with God and so that you should be stocking up on sermons because trouble is coming. One of the best things to do when you're not in trouble is to just regularly get get yourself to church because preaching will fill your mind with God. And you need it when you're in trouble. And certainly when you get in trouble, you better be getting to church. You need to fill your minds with God's character and God's promises. When you're in trouble, you want to be mindful of some things. Like verse 24, Jesus' wounds on the cross and how, how that heals us of the greatest problem we have. The greatest trouble we had was with God. And Jesus' wounds on the cross heal us of that sin sickness of soul and delivers us from not only the penalty of sin before God, but the power of sin in our life so that we can be, even now, righteous and, and, and we don't have to wrong others whenever we're in trouble. We need to be mindful of the character and the promises of God. The fact that, you know, this trouble that's so awful right now, it can actually get worse. And yet this trouble cannot change something. And that is verse 25, that Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So look, add up all the troubles you're facing right now in this room. Add up all the troubles you can face for the rest of your life. And you can know that the shepherd and overseer of your soul sees them. He's with you and he will keep you to the end. And even if you fail like I do so often this test, he sees you and he will not lose you. He is a faithful shepherd and overseer of our souls. These are truths we need when we're in trouble. We need to be mindful in trouble of, 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 of God, who we're told in chapter 4, verse 19, look, look there, it's, it doesn't, 
it doesn't say there that that he is uh, him who judges justly. He's described as the creator, which means in trouble, you need to remember this is the one who speaks the entire universe into being. He has power for me in trouble. And but he's a faithful creator. He's kind. He'll be faithful to me in this. We need to be mindful of the things that first Peter says about God in chapter five, verse six, that even in trouble, we need to remember he's mighty and therefore he can handle our trouble. We need to be mindful of what he says in chapter five, verse seven, that God is caring, that he hears our pleas. He wants us to cry out to him and cast our anxieties upon him. We need to believe that we don't have to take care of ourselves because he, we're convinced he is going to care for us. We need to fill our minds in the midst of trouble with God's character and God's promises. And, 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 and one thing we need to remind ourselves is that God does not delight in our trouble. We won't turn there now. You can do this later. Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. He does not delight in the trouble of his people. But also, he does not despise our trouble. He does not despise. He's not hated the affliction of the afflicted, which is to say that he, he's not so against it that he can't do anything with it. We need to fill our mind with the character and promises of God that he's going to use this trouble. He uses troubles. Beloved, believe this. One of the greatest tools in the hands of our God is trouble. It was in the life of Joseph. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. It's true in our lives. It was certainly true for Jesus. Look at what he did with the trouble that Jesus faced. He healed sinners. He returned us to the Savior. And then fill your time of trouble with obedience. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you say my soul is in his hands, they can't touch my soul. I'm entrusting everything to him. If you are absolutely convinced that he will care for you, then you can be free to just busy yourself with obeying him. Fill your time of trouble with obedience. I hope first Peter has answered some of your questions when you're in trouble. Um, It will test our trust. It's important to consider where we turn, who we trust, and what we think about. But there are, I guess, a couple more questions I want to answer for you just briefly. And the first one is is one I mentioned in the beginning, and that is how long. It's the question every troubled believer always asks. They're throughout the Psalms, which means that asking this question when you're in trouble is not wrong for you to ask and and really i don't want to leave first peter without addressing this question because actually the answer is in first peter 
Chapter 1, verse 6 tells us, You have been grieved for a little while. Do you see the same language in chapter 5 and verse 10? Let's go there. Chapter 5 and verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Lord has answered how long, and, and in his timetable, it's a little while. Now, trouble has a way of slowing time down. It can feel like forever. And in fact, a little while may last a lifetime. It did for Jesus. But it will not last forever. According to chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. The good news is there's a day coming when the Lord is going to stop sending his deputies, his substitutes, his pastors, his the, the great gift we have in churches of our brothers and sisters coming along to strengthen us. And he himself will come. He himself will restore you, which means when you're in trouble, you don't have to do it. He himself will confirm you when you're in trouble. That means you don't have to do it. He will strengthen you. You don't have to do it. He will establish you in his eternal glory. And I do believe that what he's saying is even a lifetime of trouble will have felt really little when he himself brings us to him in glory. So the last question is, will you trust him when you're in trouble? Now, I think we're, I've, I think we're out of time. I've given you a few ideas for homework when either you're in trouble or you're trying to help others in trouble. Uh, but any, any, maybe one or two questions before we close. First Peter in trouble. Okay. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time uh, with these, your children. We pray that you would use it for their good and for your glory as we face trouble and as we try to walk alongside those who do. In Jesus' name, amen.